Welcome back to the Walk the Word podcast with me, Pastor James, coming out of Sar Fellowship in the Kingdom of Bahrain. We are walking through Genesis one chapter a week, and today we get to Genesis chapter 45. Now, this podcast, Walk the Word, where we look at a chapter of the Old Testament once a week, kind of takes the place of a midweek Bible teaching or gathering at our church here in Bahrain Sar Fellowship. We currently rent space in a school and, uh, and therefore can't meet for a typical or traditional uh, midweek Bible study as a whole church. And so what we wanted to do was offer a Bible teaching, an audio-only Bible teaching, once a week. And that's this, Walk the Word. We're starting with Genesis. We're doing one chapter a week, and today we get to Genesis 45. Now, if you've not read Genesis 45 in the recent past, go ahead, press pause, make a cup of tea or a coffee, sit down, read it, and then we'll come back together as we seek to know and grow in God's Word. So Genesis 45 begins, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. So this is it then. This is the big reveal of Joseph to his brothers. And he does it uh, with more than words. The way this is written originally, where we read in English, Joseph made himself known to his brothers. It carries the meaning of doing just more than speaking. Maybe he's shown them distinctive markings on his body. Uh, who knows what he's done, but that's what the language is conveying. This is the big reveal, and he does it with more than words. He makes 100% certain and sure. And if we just pause and think, it sounds a lot like Jesus with Thomas, doesn't it, at the end of John's Gospel? If we just, if we just flick there a moment, where Jesus and Thomas, you know, uh, John chapter 20, where uh, John twenty twenty seven, 27, uh, Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. And we'll come back to this idea of believing without seeing. But here Joseph makes very, very clear and obvious to his brothers that, yes, it's me, it's Joseph. And we read that they couldn't answer him for they were dismayed. And again, uh, original language, it's carrying the meaning of they are shocked, they are amazed, they are terrified. Your Bible might say something like dumbfounded. They are just struck, inactive, basically. They cannot do anything. And a Jewish legend would teach here that they were so shocked that their souls left their body. And it was only a miracle of God uh, that put it back, uh, put their souls back in their bodies. But we don't read anything about that. We do read that they are absolutely shocked, amazed, and terrified. And in verse 4, Joseph says, Come near to me, please. They've obviously kind of recoiled away as part of the shock and amazement. And he said again, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. He's not minimizing their sin and what they did to him. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. Verse 7 
is great. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. And then verse 8 too. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And this is a great point for us to consider where we see the sovereignty of God, how he orders and ordains and directs things in partnership with the free will of the brothers, the choices that they made to sell him into slavery. And if you're, if you're listening with us week by week, you know that Friday just gone, we talked about a passage in, uh, in John's Gospel during our summer sermon series called Seven Signs. Yes, it's all the S sounds you could possibly think of. And we said that there's Jesus walking on the water, displaying his utter sovereignty and lordship and mastery over the natural world. But he doesn't force himself into the boat of the disciples. He waits for them to invite him in. So the sovereignty, the free will, the partnership of the two coming together. And a lot of people will tell you that they cannot work together. But here they do. And I love what Charles Spurgeon said about this. He said, how wonderfully those two things meet in practical harmony. The free will of man and the predestination of God. Man acts just as freely and just as guiltily as if there were no predestination whatever. And God ordains, arranges, supervises and overrules just as accurately as if there were no free will in the universe. So the next time somebody tells you that the sovereignty of God, the free will of man are diametrically opposed, you cannot have them together, you tell them, yes, you absolutely can. And then between verses uh, what we get, 8 and 15, 9 and 15, the brothers are sent home with instructions to go and get their dad and come back and um, we will protect you from uh, the, the famine, basically. Verse 11 says, I'll provide for you because there are five years of famine to come. You and your household, all that you have, I'll do this so that all of that doesn't come to poverty. And uh, it gives instructions, you know, tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and all that you've seen, hurry, bring him down here. And then uh, he kissed all his brothers, wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. And you can only, we can only imagine the catch-up conversations that they had there. And then verses 16 through 24, uh, we see the bountiful and generous gifts or well, the type of stuff uh, that Joseph sends the brothers away with. Uh, so we read in verse 16 that the report of all this, when the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land and you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Now here is Joseph and Joseph's family in particular being blessed for Joseph's sake. 
Now, again, there's a very strong parallel here between Joseph and Jesus in that as believers in Jesus, as followers of Jesus, as brothers and sisters in Jesus' family, we are blessed beyond belief for his sake. Where our deeds and works and kind of natural sinful self deserves the exact opposite of blessing, we are blessed beyond belief for Jesus' sake. Another really strong parallel between Joseph and Jesus. And so I read that for the family here to return to, to Jacob, to return to Canaan with all of this stuff from Egypt would be like flying in to the middle of a jungle with a jumbo jet full of goodies. James Montgomery Boyce said that to return to Canaan with carts from Egypt full of the best, you know, the good things of Egypt uh, was the cultural equivalent of landing a jumbo jet among a tribe of isolated savages. It would be the stuff legends are made of. All that to say, look, the family have no idea the blessings, the riches, the honor that is about to be given to them for Joseph's sake. And then this chapter ends uh, with verses 25 to 28, and Jacob hears the news that his son is alive. And interesting that this paragraph starts off with, so they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father, Jacob, and the brothers, they tell him, look, Joseph is still alive and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, says Jacob, for he did not believe them. So Jacob told Joseph is alive. He's ruler over the land of Egypt. He didn't believe them. And then verse 27 says, when they told him, says Jacob, all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, it's enough. Joseph, my son, is alive. I will go and see him before I die. So there's a very subtle but very important change there, isn't there? Jacob in the flesh was told, look, Joseph's alive. He didn't believe And then he is told the words of Joseph. And he sees the blessings that are coming from Joseph. And he said, that's enough. He is alive. I will go and see him before I die. And he's referred to as Israel, not Jacob. And I read that when Jacob was in charge, he, he's a whining, self-pitying, complaining, unbelieving type of man. And in contrast, Israel, the man that God had conquered, had a testimony of faith. He believed the words of and about Joseph, and he saw the blessings that were associated with Joseph. And he believed. So a very subtle difference that in the flesh, Jacob didn't believe. But as a man of the spirit, as Israel, he did believe because of the words of Joseph, which he had said to them. And when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father, Jacob, revived. 
And again, it's just a wonderful picture for us of what Jesus does for us. As we said about uh, Thomas, you know, uh, you believe because you've seen, um, you know, blessed are those who believe when uh, they have not seen. It was in the end of, uh, of John's gospel, wasn't it, John, chapter 20. Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So as for Joseph, the same with Jesus. People believe when they hear the words of Jesus, which he had said to them. People believe when they hear you talking about Jesus, when they see the blessings of Jesus as present and active and living and real and tangible in your life. So on the one hand, it speaks to how important it is to have a really strong and visible and obvious Jesus-focused Christian witness But more important than that, it shows how important the words of Jesus are, the things that he has commanded that we tell others about him. And when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, his spirit was revived. And when people see what a life given to Jesus looks like when they see you living out your daily life of faith and trust and hope and security and peace in Jesus, that changes people. Jacob knew that Joseph was alive because of the words that he said and the words that were told about him. And he saw the blessings that Joseph had given through other people. It's the same. It's the same with Jesus. The only way people will know that will know for sure that Jesus is alive, so I read, is if we tell them the words and show them the blessings in our own lives. So Genesis 45 is not the longest chapter, but there are at least two, two or three really strong parallels again, Joseph and Jesus. Next week then, we will get into Genesis 46 and we see Joseph bringing his family uh, down to Egypt. We see a wonderful, um, a wonderful reunion, a wonderful uh, time of being reunited uh, between Jacob and Joseph. But until then, God bless. Him.